Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. You can get to the quarterback, disrupt the quarterback, um, make it a little harder on them. It's important because we think we all know it's, it's, it's a quarterback-driven league, so you've got to gotta make them uncomfortable back there. And um, you know, Back from high school, like I'm, I'm older than Pat, by like a year, and I feel like I watched him in high school. <laughs> um, so he's been, he's been doing it at a high level for a long time. Well, Davis is our quarterback. So there's one thing about leadership. In order to lead, you gotta be, you got to show up. you got to be here. They have to see you in every situation, and not just on the football field. You know, for Davis, for the team to get a chance to know him just hanging out in the facility, uh, just him being around. Us, yes, the skilled guys, offensive guys, but the defensive guys too. That's why you get so much done in all season. And guys, you're not having to, we're not going to play a game tomorrow. Just get a chance to know each other, hang out a little bit, and see that there's a lot of common things we have. Monday edition of PFTPM. Here we are on Peacock and Sirius XM 85. Mike Golick, Mike Florio, Mike along with Mike in the afternoon. Getting closer and closer to the draft. Mike Golick, how's everything? How was your weekend? All going well. Going wonderfully well. I have uh, five days until my daughter gets married out here. So wedding wedding plans are a go. We've been getting it prepared for a while. So uh, all good. Wow. Well, congratulations. That is awesome. How many kids do you have? I have three. Uh, My son, Mike, who is in this business with me. Uh, My son, Jake, who has been married for five years. He played football at Notre Dame as well. He married a young lady that ran track at Notre Dame. Uh, They are going to have their first child in July. Uh, And then my daughter, Sydney, she swam at Notre Dame. And just the connection of football, her fiancé is Ben Broniker, who was a tight end at Harvard and was a tight end with the Bears for the Chicago Bears for four years. Uh, he re- he was out last year because he is getting ready to go to med school to become a neurologist. So, wow. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know how he's with this family. Let me tell you that right now. He's really dumbing <laughs> it down to hang around with our group. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's awesome. And congratulations Thanks. in advance on the new arrival coming in July. I just saw my first ever great nephew for the first time. First baby in the wow. family in 15 years. That was our trip this weekend. So, hey, they're so small. You yeah. forget how small babies are and they're so fragile and they don't move and their eyes are rarely open and how does this little thing survive outside of the womb it really is amazing and uh you've got some fun times coming up this summer all right we got some fun times coming up as we get closer to the draft and teams are trickling back in for the commencement of off-season programs so what that means is as they come through the door there will be press conferences there will be opportunities for coaches and players to talk about whatever happens to come up. And in Houston, you heard it at the outset, Lovey Smith, new head coach of the Texans, believes in Davis Mills. He is their quarterback. Now, we have heard puffery before, and we've got the draft coming up. We don't know what the Texans are going to do. Smoke screens run rampant in the NFL. Did you see enough from Davis Mills last year to think that it would be justified to give him 
full season, wire to wire as starter? Well, I, listen, I actually saw his first game as, as a starter uh, against Carolina uh, in Houston. Um, that was when the whole Deshaun, when, when they thought, oh, because uh, Howard Taylor got hurt, is Deshaun Watson going to be the quarterback? And the answer was a, a, a resounding no. It's Davis Mills' job. And I remember doing that game, and Mills looked very shaky in the first half. But in the last two minutes of the half and then the second half, they kind of let him throw in more of a hurry-up offense where he had to think less, which was, I think, a better way to go when you're just starting out in the league. And he did pretty well, so I think he got a decent base. And, did, you know, you see, 13, I think it was 13 games he played, 16 touchdowns, uh, 10 interceptions. Did he light the world up? No. Did he make you feel somewhat secure? I think he did, but the, but the issue is, Mike, is – what are you relying on? If you're going to have a quarterback like Davis Mills, you got to have a good running game. you got to be very balanced because it's very difficult to say we expect you when you weren't expected to be the guy and now we're, you are the guy, given our circumstances, that we can rely completely on you. So this, this has got to be a well-balanced offense to give him the best opportunity. Um, do I think Davis Mills is going to be the guy – that is going to lead this team back to whatever. We know they won divisions when Bill O'Brien was was the coach there. I'm not sure, but what he's getting, and it's all any player can ask for, unless you're a first-rounder and you're going to get that opportunity. Other than that, you want an opportunity. You want a chance, and he's getting it. So more power to him. I mean, this is it's in his hands to kind of mold his future. Will it be as a guy who can be relied on as a starting quarterback or will it not? I mean, so he's now the talent around him isn't going to be the greatest in the world, but it doesn't matter. It's it's on his shoulders right now. He is the leader in that huddle to kind of make things happen. So I thought he did a fine job again for a guy that wasn't expected to play all the games that he did. I thought he did a fine job. Did I did I think they were going to go out and maybe try and get themselves a quarterback? Yeah, I thought they did. And they didn't. So, of course, the next progression is, hey, Davis Mills, it's your gig. The Texans are in a very unique situation. The owner doesn't seem to be expecting much. No one seems to be expecting much. There are 13 contenders in the AFC going into this season. The Texans, Jaguars, and Jets are the three in the AFC that I would peg as don't waste your time this year. Focus on building something for the future. And I feel like with Jack Easterby so firmly in charge as a practical matter of the football operation, even though he has learned to stay out of the spotlight, life is easier for him if he doesn't try to be front and center in charge, but more of a puppet master in charge. And a guy who has Cal McNair kind of under his spell and McNair's on board, it gives GM Nick Casario time to understand and be very self-aware. We're not going to be a great team this year. Let's make do with what we have. Let's build for the future. Let's try to get competitive 23, 24, 25. And if there isn't a quarterback out there that we think is going to make a huge difference, let's wait. Let's get through this season. We got to put the guys on the field. We got to play the games. We're going to cash the checks. We're going to make money. We get our 132nd share of the broadcasting revenue, no matter how bad we are. Let's go forward with what we have and we'll wait for the right moment to get a quarterback that will carry us into the future, whoever it may be. So I know every team wants to win the Super Bowl every year. They have to test that, but the Texans can deliberately, and I'm not saying tank, just accept 
who they are and what they are. Let's not get too crazy about trying to be great too soon and and compromise our future. You know, instead of drafting guys, they're going to come in right now and burn hot. Let's get guys that we can build with. Let's get guys that we expect to reach their peaks in two or three years. I just feel like they, and they alone in today's NFL, because for most other teams, it's do it now, do it now, do it now. Texans have the luxury to take a step back and be strategic, which means you could, could go for a season or two with Davis Mills and see what he becomes. If he doesn't become anything, that's when you make your move. Until then, we got to have somebody playing quarterback. May as well be him. But how, how much time can you be afforded? Listen, there actually used to be five-year plans in the NFL. And then there would be three-year plans in the NFL. And now you're lucky if it's a three-year plan in the NFL. So while I agree with you, what you're saying, listen, we saw what this team did with Bill O'Brien. They won some division titles, so the expectation was to keep going. But then we know that the tents basically folded when you get rid of DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt. And obviously you don't expect what's happening to your quarterback and Deshaun Watson to happen, but it did. So, you're, you know, your best players on offense and defense are basically gone. So you know you have to basically rebuild. And I get it. And what you said is correct. You can be strategic. But you know what you better be? You better be good. You better be, and I don't mean on the field, you better be good at being strategic. You better know what's out there. And, and I'm sure everybody does. But what's the plan? There's got to be a plan in place. Now, we'll see what Davis Mills and what he shows, but what's the plan on quarterbacks that might be free agents or maybe in the draft in the next year or the year after that? What free agents potentially are coming up at other positions that you're going to be able to get? Where are you going to go in the draft? And you're right. They don't have to come in red hot right out of the gate. But you can have a plan, but you got to execute the plan. And in today's NFL, you have to execute the plan at a very quicker rate than what was done back in the day a little bit. You know, your, your clock is running at, at a faster pace now where if you don't get it done, man, they're going to move on from you as a player, you as a coach, you as a GM, whatever it's going to be, they're going to move on. So they are in that position. I agree with you, like Jacksonville and like the Jets. But you know what? Time's always ticking, Mike. Time is always ticking, and you're only going to get so much of it. But here's the reality. There's only one person who matters when the time comes to decide who's getting how much time, and that's the boss. And this is one of the basic realities for every NFL team. There is an owner who cannot be fired. There is an owner who holds final and complete authority over all decisions that are made. So to the extent, Mike Golick, that Cal McNair is all in with Jack Easterby, and that Jack Easterby with that, is it silver tongue or golden tongue? I guess gold is better. Platinum tongue. I mean, whatever it is that he says that gets people won over to him quickly, and that's his reputation. He's a guy who can get people through the big personality and, and great interpersonal skills. If he's got Cal McNair wrapped around his little finger, then however it goes, Jack Easterby's going to sell it to Cal McNair as exactly yeah. what they need to keep doing. We need to stay the course. We need to stay the course. And look, th this is there's two ways you can get an NFL team. One, have enough money to buy one. Two, be in the right genetic sequence to inherit it. <laughs> And there's no requirement. There's no test no. that you have to take. You at least have to go take a test to learn how to drive a car. You have to take no test to inherit an NFL franchise. Just 
do you have the requisite DNA to match the person who is handing it to you? That's it. That's it. So, I, I, and I don't know how good of an owner Cal McNair is going to be, but if I was a Texans fan, I'd be very concerned about the team under him based upon where it's been the past few years. But back to my point, as long as Cal McNair is fine with it, it continues as long as he wants it to. Now, you may get a fan revolt. You may have no one show up for your games. You may have no one watch your games on local TV. But like I said, you're still going to get your 132nd of the TV money no matter what you do. You can never win a game again and still get 132nd of the TV money. So, Mike, this goes again. We had this conversation last week. I think it was either last week or the week before of owners that want to win and owners that love the bottom line. Now, there were some that, that have both. They want to win titles and they want to have a great bottom line. But you said it. You get 132nd of a whole lot of revenue. Right. They didn't have to pay DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins big money, didn't have to pay Deshaun Watson big money. They're not paying a lot of big money out there and they're going to make a lot of big money. So you're right. If an owner is satisfied with that, albeit, you know, you do get the fan revolt every now and then. But listen, NFL is still king. Fans still go to the stadium. They're the ones that ultimately can decide by not going and not contributing to that team that and, and advertisers. So as long as they're doing that and as long as the bottom line is nice, fat, and juicy, then so be it, man. Some owners, as I stated before, I had one in Philly, uh, in Norman Bremen, that as long as they were getting their dollar, as long as that bottom line was filled, they were cool. And if every now and then along the way they happen to fall into one and win, great. So be it. As I said, there are plenty of owners out there who are trying desperately to win the Lombardi Trophy, desperately to win it. But to say 31 again because Green Bay is publicly owned to say all 31 are eh, that'd be a stretch uh, that, that would be a stretch I think there were some that are very happy to see you know what what revenue is going in their pocket it would be fascinating to see what kind of studies teams have done regarding profitability in years the team was good and profitability in years right. the team was bad because I suspect somewhere, somehow, there's been a strategic decision. Look, look, that year that we went to the playoffs, look at how much money we spent on players. And look at how much money we made. Look at our profit margin. Now look at this year where we didn't spend that much. We were 6-11, and 11, but our profit was five times what it was the year we went to the playoffs and won a game or two, and then we're out. So – you do get to the point of diminishing returns pretty quickly. You do need to have owners who are willing to lose money or not make as much money to make the kind of financial commitment necessary to have the best team possible right now. And ultimately, the fan base is stuck with whatever the secret strategy is that they're never going to come out and tell us about. Cal McNair is not going to hold a conference call with reporters in Houston, during which he explains that I have carefully studied the profitability of this franchise over the last 10 years. And as it turns out, we made our lowest profits in the years we went to the playoffs. We make our highest profits in the years when we don't spend money on players, but we still make the same revenue. So, moving forward, we're not going to spend as much money as we did in the years that we made it to the playoffs. And if we don't make it to the playoffs, at least you understand why we, we have chosen this path. They're never going to admit to that. But... How could it be a responsible business that's focused on the bottom line if they're not at least thinking about those things? And my guess is most, if not all, franchises do at some point.
You know, that's the thing about it. In, in businesses, businesses, what, what's the idea of a business is mainly to make a profit, right? To make some money. So you can't fault an owner for to spending, you know, however much it was to buy this team. And now it's worth substantially more that if they want to make money, it's their business. They're allowed to do that. So along the way, it, it's like, again, it's like any other business. How much money do you put into it? That makes your bottom line a little lighter. I mean, that, that's that's what this comes down to. And again, there are, I, I think, and it all depends on an owner and money. And, and they all say, all oh, these owners are all billionaires. Well, okay, that doesn't mean they don't want more. Or maybe some of them have, some do have the thought process. Well, I have enough money, man. I want to build a championship. I don't care if I make just $1. Man, if I hold that Lombardi trophy, that's everything to me. And because they got, you know, billions of dollars sitting in their bank account, so it doesn't really matter. So it all comes down to the individual owner and what they think. They're the ones setting the parameters every year, right? Or putting the trust in somebody else to say, okay, where's the salary cap? Well, this is what we're spending. We're not going over this, and we're going to be fine with this. This is what we're doing elsewhere in the facility as far as money that we're spending or not spending. And you weigh that against if you're not winning, are your fans still buying tickets? Are the fans still buying paraphernalia, memorabilia uh, from the team? All that goes into, into the computer and it spits out numbers. So, uh, I mean, we can go round and round on this. It's just, it's just what the owner ultimately wants. Ultimately, I'm sure they'd love to make a lot of money and win championships. Sometimes those two things don't coincide. And sometimes you're one of the clearly worst teams in your conference with no path to being competitive. So you just dog paddle for a year or two or three until enough players mature to the point where they're good enough to get it done, which is what the Texans may be doing. The Vikings have been just good enough in recent years. Once every few years, they get to the playoffs. Once every decade, they get to the NFC Championship game. You know, they have lost like seven straight NFC Championship games dating back to 1977. Kirk Cousins, who has gotten to the Vikings to the playoffs one time in four years, he signed a contract to stick around through 2023 at a minimum. Here he is from the start of the Minnesota offseason program under new coach Kevin O'Connell talking about his decision to extend his contract from 2022 through 2023. I think the short answer is I want to be a Minnesota Viking. Um, uh, you know, I, I wanted to help create some cap space uh, so that we could put together the roster that you do feel really good about. And um, and I think it, it was just trying to always, you know, find win-wins. And I think it was a way to create a win-win. A and um, uh, and then hopefully that leads to a lot of wins this fall. My mindset was really to be a Viking. Um, I would like to retire as a Viking. And so I would like to play my way into that, if you will. I know i got to earn the right to do that, but uh, if, if I could draw it up, it would be play well enough that they're never, you never have to play or wear another jersey anywhere else. So. See, I don't buy that because he only does three-year contracts, and now he's got a two-year commitment. If he really wanted to be with the Vikings over the long haul, he would have done something that lasted more than two seasons. Now, you do surrender the discretion to the team at some point, because when we get past the early years of any contract, it becomes a team-held option. Cousins has always been willing to bet on himself and always yeah. been willing to stare down potential free agency. And he will have the flexibility after 2023 to move on if he so chooses. But 
when you look at Patrick Mahomes, who clearly wants to retire a chief, signing a contract that goes into the next decade, and you've got Kirk Cousins doing 3-3-2, three, three, I don't know that I'm ready to buy the idea that he's really intent on retiring with the Vikings, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. If his yeah. goal is to make as much money as possible, that's fine, but it feels more like it's to make as much money as possible, not retire with the Vikings. He's almost like the the quarterback version of the owner mindset we've been talking about today. Who cares about winning Super Bowls? I'm going to walk out of this with a jackpot that I never would have had if I didn't play this system the way that I've done it to maximize my revenue. There may not be a player who has done the business of the NFL better than Kirk Cousins, going back with Washington and the, uh, the franchise tags and what he's done with guaranteed money. It's stunning. Stunning what he's done. I mean, and if you sit there and look at his stats, that's why you just can't go by stats. I mean, he's a career 67% completion guy, 223 touchdowns, just 91 interceptions. I mean, you see him win, you see him play well, but you never see this team do anything. So it's like, when when do they get over the hump? Can they get over the hump? And and no, I mean, we do this every year with them. They're never bad enough to get a high pick, and they're never good enough to be right there talking about them as one of the contenders. They're stuck in a horrible spot. And I don't mind him saying, I want to retire a Viking. Listen, if he plays there another two years and he's playing great, maybe he'll sign another extension if they actually start going somewhere. But But – I mean, it's been a vicious circle for them. And God knows with the talent with Thielen and Jefferson and Cook in the backfield. I know they tweaked the line every now and then. And the, the defense was somewhat inconsistent last year, uh, without a doubt. So you keep trying to fill those holes. You have some spots that are really good right now. And you just keep wondering. But, I mean, man, Micah, we're all losing our minds with them, right? Because we're, we're waiting for them to go to the next level but it just seems like you're just stuck on a treadmill walking while you're walking and it says you're going, you know, mile after mile on the treadmill. You're pretty much standing in one place on the treadmill as you're doing it. And you just you just don't see this team go anywhere. There's a point where if you're a fan of the Vikings, you just have to wonder whether you're being grifted. That, that <laughs> they've put together a team that's just good enough to keep separating you from your money. Step right up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. We have a team that will be almost good enough to make you think you have a chance to finally watch the team get back to the Super Bowl after 45 long years. At some point, when you're that close, but they can never punch it through. And I came to that conclusion a couple of years ago when they lost soundly to the 49ers on a game we did on NBC out at Levi's Stadium, the last game that I was at present for uh, before the, the world turned upside down with the pandemic, they're never going to be good enough to play with the best team that emerges in the NFC in any given year. There's always going to be a great team, and the Vikings are never going to be good enough to compete with that great team. And it feels like they're wired to never be that great team. They never go all in like the Rams do. It's very cautious, it's very careful, and let's build a team that can get in playoff contention. And I say all the time, Mike, that any team should strive to be relevant into December and through December because that's when people keep showing up for games and buying all kinds of overpriced stuff. That's when kids put their Christmas lists together and they want Vikings jerseys, not Twins jerseys or Timberwolves jerseys or Wild jerseys or University of Minnesota jerseys. They want Vikings jerseys. You want to have a team that is still contending 
into the Christmas season and into the final weeks of the season, and every year the Vikings are, regardless of whether they punch it through to the playoffs. They're rarely horrible. They're rarely lost by Halloween. They're always hanging around. And at some point, the fans just have to look at it and say, I feel like they're just content to always kind of hang around because they get us fired up every year to think it can be the year. And then, you know, for one reason or another or five or ten reasons, it never is. But you know what a fan doesn't want to do, Mike? They don't want to be that fan that says, I'm done with them, and then that next year they do it. Because they are kind of right there. I mean, I mentioned the offensive firepower. They had pass rushers last year, and then injuries and other situations took some of the pass rushers away. You know, you still have Harrison Smith back there making Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl. So, again, it is enough to get you somewhere to always. And if you're a fan, listen, what's fan short for? Fanatic. We were close this year. Maybe it's next year. And it doesn't seem to matter if it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, that if you're close, you can think about next year. You're, you're kind of, it's kind of a damning thing when you're horrible and you're like, well, next year we're not going to be much better. But what, what throws that aside? We've seen teams like years ago, the Rams 5-11 and 11, one, team, one year and winning the Super Bowl the next. So you see that get done. So that's why fans become fanatics and say, even though our team doesn't look good, you never know what happens on Sunday. You never know how the ball bounces. We could be there. And if you're close like Minnesota is, then you're really getting the fans' hopes up to say, okay, we were close this year, maybe next year, even if it's rinse and repeat year after year. Yeah, and for the Vikings, there's been a lot of rinsing and repeating and 11 and 6 or 10 and 7 or 9 and 8, and we'll see what they do this year. But uh, they got a lot to do. And you got a first-time GM, first-time head coach. Right. The only good news for the Vikings is their division is not great. You've got right. new coach and new GM in Chicago. You've got second year of a new regime in Detroit. And the Packers will be the best team in the division, but right. they'll still be vulnerable without Devontae Adams, and we'll find out in 17 days what they do, if anything, to address that void in the draft or if they trade for one of these guys that's ready to get a new contract. Let's go ahead and take a break. The football world continues to mourn the passing of Dwayne Haskins. His college coach, Ryan Day, spoke to the media today about what he meant to Ohio State and Buckeye Nation. We'll hear from Coach Day when we return on PFTPM. We'll be back right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. You know, it's hard to wrap your mind around something like this, especially when it just happened so tragically to a young person, <clears throat> especially somebody who had such a big heart. Uh, I think when you think about Dwayne, you just think about the compassion that he had, certainly for all of his teammates and his friends. But just, you know, he always took time after practice to be around uh, family members, kids. You know, he was he was like a big brother, RJ. I remember he took RJ to a high school basketball or high school football game. And, um, you know, they, they spent a lot of time together. He meant a lot to my family, he meant a lot to this program. 
that he's going to be sorely missed. Um, That's Coach Ryan Day from Ohio State on the passing of Dwayne Haskins, a tragic accident that happened on Interstate 595 in Fort Lauderdale early Saturday morning. The details are troubling. If you don't already know them, you can find them. Uh, I, I get sick to my stomach talking about it and thinking about it, frankly. Mike, what was your reaction when you heard the news on Saturday morning? I mean, you just, just kind of shock and, and disbelief that something like that can happen to a, a player that young, a person that young, forgetting a player. And, and then, quite honestly, Mike, it, it makes me think back. I mean, um, you know, the team I was on in Philadelphia, this was before free agency, so we were around together for a while. And we, were, we weren't just teammates. We were really good friends. And one of my best friends was Jerome Brown. And it was in, in June of an offseason where Jerome got in a car accident. His 12-year-old nephew was in the car, and they both died. He's 27 years old. And it's a guy, and I know not only played on the D-line with me and Jerome and Mike Pitts, Clyde Simmons, and, and Reggie White. Uh, so, like I said, we were friends. And, and I'll never forget getting that call and, and not believing it. I think the first thing is disbelief. No, this didn't happen. You know, no, no way this happened. Come on. And then as it starts to sink in, you do. You go through all the stages of shock, disbelief, sadness, anger, everything. I mean, and then we had to go on and play a season a couple of months later. You know, we're, we're playing a season for our friend. You know, a teammate, but again, our friend. So for those that were not only not only his teammates, but acquaintances, but friends that he had, whether it's in college or, or the NFL, I mean, it's it's a devastating thing because obviously it's not supposed to happen to somebody that young in that way, but it does. And and as an athlete, no matter if you're one of the great players or not one of the great players, it doesn't matter if you're playing, you have this feeling of invincibility and you're kind of looked at that way of almost not human. You're like this 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 athlete, you know, their bodies are their are their lives. You know, and no way, this, this, they're not gone. They're not dead. You know, but, but the harsh reality is they are. That, that you know, life throws some, some horrible crap at us. And it, it, so I, I feel horrible for, obviously, for him and, and especially the family who goes on to try and, you know, to try and re- remember him. And they will remember him, obviously. But it did make me think about Jerome, just a couple of years older than what, what Dwayne Haskins it, it was. Um, at 25 with Jerome being 27 and just how it's cut short. You just, there, there's a lot of funk for a while, Mike. There's just a lot of kind of, again, disbelief that something like this, you just, you're like, how? The, the, this, this can't be true. This can't have happened. And literally there were a lot of us that didn't even believe it about Jerome until we were actually at his funeral looking at the casket going, oh my God, you know, th- th- this is real. And it's a, it's a, it's a horrible, horrible reality uh, to a game, you know, that we all play. That this, this is life, man. And what it does is it pops through the bubble that we reside in as we go about our lives, the things we do day in and day out, the things that make the weeks go by Monday through Friday, and then the weekend, and then we start it all over again. We have routines, we have our radius of activities, the things we do that get us through our time, through the weeks, months, and years, and something like this comes and throws everything off kilter and forces you to deal with issues that 
ideally you would only deal with with people who are extremely elderly, elderly who have lived their lives, not somebody who has even yet to turn 25. May 3rd is when he would have turned 25. And it was a weird weekend for me, Mike, because Saturday was a rare occasion where I had access to my son, who's older than Dwayne Haskins, all day long. We drove to Ohio to see our new family member, and it was a very family-heavy day. And it was just a reminder to me constantly of what Dwayne Haskins' family must be experiencing. I can't imagine the hurt, the grief, the despair that his parents will be feeling for the rest of their lives. I don't know how that ever goes away. Knowing that he's younger than my own son, knowing and trying to understand what they've got to be dealing with, I can't understand where they would even begin to find solace or even begin the process of feeling better about it. Where's the silver lining? There is no silver lining. It's a storm cloud that will hover, hover over you the rest of your life, and that goes along with his wife and his friends and his teammates. Chase Claypool was very emotional. He had, I thought, the most poignant tweet of the weekend, very simple, very powerful, about Dwayne Haskins and what he meant to him. And there it is there. I spent your final moments with you, and I can't help but think about how selfless you were in those moments. All you cared about was making sure that everyone around you was okay, and I can't thank you enough for that. You are what I strive to be. And uh, uh, a lot of healing that needs to be done. And, you know, time does make it better, but it, it, it never – it just fundamentally changes you. When it's someone that close to you, your, your life is never quite the same again. I have experienced it with my parents. When they passed in the 90s, it's a fundamental change to your existence. You don't realize it until you go through it, and I can only imagine. And I never want to experience what it's like to have to continue without one of your children. So I see that, that's what I can't imagine. Listen, I sit there and talk from it, whether it's Dwayne or whether it was like with Jerome, how 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 – people within that football world talk out. We have each other. We had teammates. We had friends within the league to, to share with each other. And I'm sure Dwayne does as well with, with the friends he has in the league, whether, again, college or in the NFL. They can commiserate with one another. But, man, I, I just – I could not fathom losing a child. So for his his parents or, or you know, even even aunts even uncles all you're never supposed to see that happen you know kids niece uh, your son daughter nieces nephew go before you know, it's just that that is just so hard to wrap your head around and so I don't know how that feels and that's who I feel the most for uh is is for the the, the parents just how how you and and I'm sure they'll go on. You know, again, how everybody does it is up to them. Uh, you know, and how long it takes them. If you never get over, I don't know how you could. I can't even think of the words um, to to say in my thoughts to them in losing a child. That that that's the part. And just as you stated, and I being being fathers, being parents, it's numbing to me. Absolutely numbing to me. I remember vividly the year that Dwayne, uh, that, that Jerome Brown passed, excuse me, that tribute that the Eagles came up with for that season. Every once in a while, I'll see video or a picture of the wing with the thin black stripe on right. each side. It's so powerful. And I think you guys did that all season long. 
We did. did you do that all year? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. A, a powerful tribute, and uh, it was a reminder to anyone who was paying attention to the NFL all year long that, that Jerome Brown was gone and that he meant everything to his teammates and coaches and everyone connected to the organization. Here's Coach Ryan Day from today on what he thinks Dwayne Haskins' legacy should be. You know, he was 11 years old walking through this facility and said that this is what I'm going to do and then did it. I think that's the legacy that he's going to leave behind to so many other younger people um, across the country, not just in Buckeye Nation, is that you can you know, set a dream and goal and go achieve it, and he did it. And then really, you know, broke a lot of records that year, that, that, that first year in 2018. And That video of 11-year-old Dwayne Haskins in May of 2008 with the infectious smile, this is awesome, I'm going to go to college here. And I assumed it was his dad running the video. I don't know who, he doesn't identify himself, but it was a, a male who had a connection to Dwayne Haskins, could have been a, a, an uncle, a friend, whoever, but you could hear the happiness in that man's voice that Dwayne was so inspired by what he was experiencing. And it's great that he was able to do what he wanted to do and, and hoped to do at that age. But it makes it even more heartbreaking. I watched that over and over and over and over again. It's a short clip. You can find it on social media, folks, if you haven't seen it. And it's, it's haunting it's heart shattering. Um, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago. There he is. Do we have the audio? He says, This is awesome. I'm going to go to college here. And it was 2008. You know, Chris Sims and I were talking about this earlier today, Mike. 14 years isn't all that long ago. Once you're an adult and your life settles into a routine, it's like that. Yeah. But to think, you know, he's an 11 year old boy and so full of aspiration and an unlimited future, and, and to have it cut short, just a couple of weeks short of turning 25, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to process, and it makes you just take a step back and question the fairness of a lot of things. Going, I know life's not fair. I don't want to get into trite cliche, yeah. but it really makes you take a step back and just get pissed off that certain yeah. things happen to certain people who don't get a fair shake at living a full life. Uh, that's a great way to put it, you, and that's what you'll go, you go through the anger. Uh, we certainly did with Jerome, and you talk about, you know, in the blink of an eye, it's a great Kenny Chesney song called Don't Blink, which is just, you know, I, I, I would, as you were talking about, we were showing that video, I was thinking about that song, and it just, it does go by, but, but one of the things, obviously, this is a horrible time for, again, especially the family, but think, think about not, nowadays, everything gets documented, and that's documented. Right. That video will live on. That video can be such a great inspiration to show to young kids. Look at this kid at 11 years old, walked into this locker room and said, I'm going to be here. And he was. I mean, so so while it's horrible, horrible and will stick with with family, especially family members forever. You know, at some point there will be that that how can be used for good. Well, show this to, to young kids. This was this kid's dream, and he worked his ass off to get there and did it. And he did it, and you can too. So while it's, it's, it's going to be horrible for, like I said, a long, long time, we're in an era where everything is documented, like that incredible video that can be used to really kind of make some young kids get pretty wide-eyed and, and maybe, you know, spur them on to do great things. Yeah, 
Um, and hopefully that'll be one of the positives that comes from this. Let's go ahead and take a break. We got plenty more PFTPM on this Monday afternoon. We'll be back with that right after this. Some business still being done, even though free agency has slowed to a near trickle. A lot of it is guys signing their tender offers, guys returning to their teams who continue to hold their rights under the provisions of the CBA. Punter Jack Fox, for example, signs his tender to remain a member of the Lions. So the Lions have that going for them, which is nice. Bobby Hart, offensive tackle, signs a one-year deal to return to Buffalo. And that's far more important in my eyes because, look, the Bills – they need to hold serve. They need right. to work to be the team they were last year and find a way to push higher. And you don't want to start losing guys that helped you get to where you were. You want to hold that team together and look for ways to make it just a little bit better. It doesn't need to be a lot better to get to the Super Bowl, but just a little bit better in Buffalo, Mike. See, I think one of the things to remember, too, with a lot of the signings now, we see the signings when free agency first starts and you see the big names and you see the big numbers out there. And then there's a lull. And then there's a bunch of signings now. Just, just what you said, for the reasons, the tenders, or, or if they're going to change teams or going back to their same team. But, you know, and I was one of these guys. You know, but the, these, are the, these are the majority of the team, though. I know the team is, you, you rely on your superstars to make you the plays, right? To win you the games. But you got to field a team. you got a 53-man roster. you got to have 11 starters on offense and defense. you got to have special team players. You have to have kind of the whole encompassing thing to win. And sure, the Rams obviously had Stafford and Cup. You know, we saw what he did. And obviously that defense they had led by Aaron Donald and the stars that were big. But there's other players out there. And that's that's who a lot of these players are, where you may not know the name and the numbers aren't very big. You know, but to these players, it's huge. They're on a team, whether it's back with their uh, old team, they're on a new team. Whatever the the and I, I kind of term us foot soldiers. That's the majority of the league. The majority of the league isn't the superstars. That's the upper echelon, which every sport has. But the rest of it is made up of those foot soldiers uh, that are guys that are just go out. The no name guys don't get a lot of notoriety. They'll sign their smaller deal and they'll be happy with it that they're somewhere. Maybe hopefully for another two or three years, they'll be ecstatic. They'll be ecstatic about it in that household. It may not be the fan base that gets ecstatic about it, but they are in that household that that, that work is has got, not gone for nothing, and you're going to get to continue to play in the league. The ones to watch most carefully, Mike, this time of year is when someone signs a restricted free agency tender because that puts them under contract, and it eliminates any possibility that another team will sign that player to an offer sheet right. and then – you have five days to match. We had it happened with one player this year. A, a Bills offensive lineman right. signed an offer sheet with the Bears, I believe. Mm-hmm. The Bills matched it fairly quickly. Right. You don't see it happen very often. And I've heard arguments that maybe there's a little collusion going on, that there's kind of a wink nod. We won't mess with your players if you don't mess with ours. But the restricted free agency tenders get signed this time of year by players who understand no one's given me an offer sheet. I better just sign my contract, have the best possible year that I can because everyone who signs a restricted free agency tender, Mike, becomes an unrestricted free agent next year. So they are signing a document that gives them a contract year. Let's get to work and let's make ourselves one of those guys that gets paid early in free agency in 2023. You know, it's different for everybody. Some people like a longer deal where they know they're secure, though. 
in the league nowadays, you could have a three-year deal. It could be really one year. Or, you know, you want that one-year deal, and you say, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to go out and have myself a year. Maybe not the superstar year, depending on the talent level of the player, but a good enough year to make you get a bigger deal, bigger than something you're used to getting um, as the player that you were. So it, it is kind of interesting when you get that thought, when you get that offer of a one-year deal, a three-year deal, a longer deal, a shorter deal of what you want to do and how secure you feel in how you're playing. But there is nothing like whether, you know, sometimes when, when it's out of your control, when you're, when you're in that contract year and you know, man, everything I do, boy, could really, really pay off for me. Because listen, you're out there because you love football. Don't get me wrong. You, you're not doing all you do because you love football. But you know what? Why not get paid really well while you're doing it? So if you can have that big year in your contract year, man, more power to you. Let's go ahead and take a break because we've got some very good questions in today's mailbag. Not to imply that on other days we don't. <laughs> we appreciate you for asking questions. We just want to make sure we have enough time to answer the very good ones we've gotten today. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Let's get right to the mailbag. Bugdoll614. Is Baker Mayfield more likely to be cut or traded? If he's traded, how much compensation, picks, percentage of salary paid by the Browns, cash, or other consideration will Cleveland likely put into the package? Now, again, we haven't talked about him much lately, but he's due to make $18.8 million, fully guaranteed. The Browns want to trade him. We haven't heard anything from him lately. There was talk last week of a podcast appearance he was going to be involved in. That hasn't materialized yet. We don't know if he's going to go along with Cleveland's effort to slow play this. I feel like the Browns want to take their time and wait for an opportunity to materialize. But, Mike, bottom line, if the Browns want to trade him, good luck finding somebody where he's going to be happy to go. They're going to be happy to take on $18.8 million fully guaranteed and give value to the Browns. The Browns are going to have to take peanuts – or they're going to have to kick in some cash to make this deal more palatable for whoever takes on a one-year deal for Baker Mayfield. So I guess that's what I would ask you. What what would be what would be the number? I mean, what what would Cleveland need to take in salary so the new team wouldn't be eating all almost 19 million of that? Is that is that something? I, obviously, the Browns don't want to do it. So would it be that, or would it be more that they're going to have to take peanuts at a trade? Well, it could be both. Last yeah, year right. when the Panthers traded Teddy Bridgewater to the Broncos, the Panthers ended up paying most of the salary that was due to Teddy Bridgewater last year because it was guaranteed, and they got like a sixth-round pick. So, you know, it becomes a transaction that's more about buying a draft pick. How much do I want to devote from my cash and cap pool to get that draft pick back? It's kind of like what the Browns did with Brock Osweiler five years ago. They took on a player they didn't want. They took on $16 million in fully guaranteed salary, and they got a second-round pick from the Texans. There's a certain irony. There's a certain poetry to the fact that the Browns find themselves in a similar situation. And, you know, Mike, at some point, does it become – the Browns are the ones who give up net draft pick compensation to unload all of the $18.8 million. I don't think they'd allow themselves to be embarrassed that way, but I think they yeah. would pay, you know, half, $9-10 million to get a sixth-round pick in return. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what they end up doing. 
Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it could be both. And and I guess the timing then, right? Because they're certainly not going to get any kind of bidding war for Baker Mayfield. Um, so I, I agree. I think they're in a horrible spot of if, if they have to cut him. Do you think that's, do we think that's last on the list? It's either going to be a, a trade first or, or do you think cutting is going to be the realistic way? My question is whether or not the Browns, if because Mayfield's got a lot of control here, because all he has to say right. is, no thanks. Hey, we're going to trade you to the Panthers. No thanks. I don't want to go to the Panthers. I mean, they could trade him against right. his will. Do the Panthers really want that? Does any team want a guy who comes in with that much guaranteed salary who doesn't want to be there? I don't think anybody wants to mess with that. So the worst-case scenario would be basically a Brock Osweiler hot potato trade where – you send the contract plus a draft pick with the understanding that that team is going to keep him even if he doesn't want to be there because right. I think the worst-case scenario for the Browns is the chaos arrangement that I hope happens, which is he gets cut and he goes straight to Pittsburgh. Right. So, I mean, if you're the Browns, that's what you're trying to avoid because if you cut him, he's going to go to Pittsburgh for $1.035 million, and the Browns have to pay the rest for him to play the Browns twice this year. And I think the Browns want to do everything they can to avoid that. I would agree with you. I don't think they want any part of that. I, I would agree. Football and feast. Which playoff team hasn't done enough in free agency to compete for a Super Bowl during this upcoming season, Mike? Anyone jump out for you? Well, has, has Green Bay? I mean, they lost Devontae Adams. I mean, have they done any? I, I, I mean, they got, obviously, they got Aaron Rodgers back. But I think we all thought that was happening anyway. But just like they're never drafting a first-round wide receiver. They haven't, they haven't really done a lot this offseason, right, to make you think, okay, they're going to be really good again. They're going to win their division again. Will they be the number one seed again? Good chance they could do that. But are they, can they get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl? So I, I think them. Yeah, that's great. That's a great point. It's a huge step backward. And when your best player on the team not named Aaron Rodgers is gone, what you do with those draft picks is going to be telling. People say, oh, maybe right. they'll trade for DK Metcalf. Well, why wouldn't they have just kept Devontae Adams? And then the exactly. response to that is, well, they offered him more money than the Raiders paid him. Yeah, that was when the Raiders showed up and said we won him. If they had just signed Devontae Adams back in October or November, they could have avoided all of this. Because right. I guarantee you, if they would have put the bird in his hand back then, when he still had injury risk, he would have taken it and happily stayed with the Green Bay Packers. So they blew this one. I agree with you on the Packers I also think the Cowboys are are fading. You know, they they were they surprised us last year. And now they've lost Amari Cooper and they've lost Cedric Wilson and Randy Gregory went to Denver because they were stubborn about language that they were putting in their contract and there's just kind of a vibe that the Cowboys are dipping. They moved on from Lyle Collins, got nothing for him in trade. They feel like right. they're going to be worse than they were last year. And that's not the direction you want to move in for a team that's trying to get back, not just to the Super Bowl, but to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1995. Paul PJ5 has an interesting question. Instead of having fully guaranteed contracts, what if all contracts become guaranteed on the first day of the league year? This way, players hit free agency at the beginning and aren't squeezed by teams in training camp. We see that time and again. A guy with a non-guaranteed salary, the team will squat on him and dump him right before the salary becomes, as a practical matter, right. guaranteed. Right. If that salary locks in day one, you got something. And, and plenty of players have terms in their contracts that force the team to make a decision early. So if you're not going to keep me, let me go now 
while other teams are still spending money. I kind of like the idea that day one of the league year, all salaries become fully guaranteed for all players. That would force teams to make a commitment in March, not wait till September. Yeah, it would, but boy, put some players on pins and needles too, and if they're going to make it that far, right, <laughs> to get their get their contract guaranteed, it'd <laughs> uh, be a tough spot. But plenty of guys are on pins and needles. March, April, May, yeah, June, July, true. August. I'd rather know in March if my money's locked in or not. Uh, that's very true. That is, I, I would 100% agree with that. I like that idea. I, I really like that idea because the thing about guaranteed contracts, if all contracts are fully guaranteed, every contract would be one or two years. Exactly. There would be no long-term commitment. Right, so right. every t- I kind of I can get behind this. Every contract, you've got to make the decision up or down by the start of the new league year if you want that guy. And if you're not willing to guarantee his pay for that year, then he's gone, and that's it, and you move forward. I kind of I kind I'm gonna I'm gonna think that one through a little bit more, but I like it. That, the fact that I like it so much tells me there's something wrong with it. So I'm gonna yeah. think it through some more. <laughs> Skull Vikings 407. If the Buccaneers have a losing season. What will the media headline be about more? Tom Brady has finally hit the wall, or Todd Bowles didn't deserve that job in the first place, Mike? Wow. Well, I don't know about Todd Bowles not deserving that. He was a head coach before, uh, but the way it was played, we all understand that, that Bruce Arians wanted Todd Bowles to get the job. We all get why that happened. That, that's a really good question. I mean, let's see. Remember last year they had all 22 starters back from the Super Bowl year. So let's see how many they get back this year. Let's see, you know, you got players coming back from injury as well. You got players that are a year older. You got players, you lost players on the offensive line to retirement and free agency. So let's wait and see what the team looks like as a whole before I'm just going to make a decision based on Tom Brady and Todd Bowles. As I said earlier in the show, there's a lot more players on the team. And here's the most important point I'll make. Even though there's been barely a shrug from the Buccaneers about the fact that Bruce Arians is gone, don't take for granted what he was able to do on game day. Todd Bowles has to be able to manage the game, make good decisions, and I can't think of a time that we dumped on Bruce Arians, Mike, for screwing up game management, right? Todd Bowles is going to have to do that. Or you take a step back. We take a step aside. We are done for today. Mike Golick, great stuff as always. We'll see everyone tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.